This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. It's one thing that, uh, you know, if you're if you're in ministry, and when I when I say that, I don't mean just like as a job, but if you if you teach um, a group, if you lead kids, whatever you do, there comes a tendency sometimes to make your only Bible study, your only worship, be something that has to do with okay, I've got to lead. But you know, when you when you put in the time of just communion with God on your own, it changes changes everything really and um, it's easy for those of us who are pastors even when we get into devotional reading we think oh that's a sermon right there and start writing things down and, and that's not bad but we just need to have some time to just sit and soak in his presence too it's not what I'm talking about today but um, 
I was thinking, uh, Cindy has been working on writing the group study times for this year's youth camp, Harmony Hill Youth Camp, um, which is happening the last week of July. And she writes the team time studies, they're called, where the, you know, the campers all split into their groups and have small group study time in the morning, every morning there. And uh, this year she's writing it on the topic of the story, uh, as in the grand, the big picture, the story of God, His creation, and then His redemption of His creation. Um, and it's a really good study, but yesterday uh, we were talking, I had, I had another message all ready to go, the front of your bulletin says ask, and that was going to be the other message. Um, but then yesterday we were talking about one of her sessions and started talking about plot twists um, when it comes to the the grand story of God and His creation and His redemption of His creation. And uh, man, I started writing things like fast as I could. And and uh, this this is that um, today. And, and so I was thinking about this. What, what are some of your favorite plot twists uh, in literature or, you know, movies, TV shows, whatever? What are your some what are some of your favorite plot twists? Um, a lot of you, whether you've seen Star Wars or not, you know who uh, you know whose father Darth Vader is. Um, going back, one of my favorite old stories, uh, Les Miserables, the book by Victor Hugo, Jean Valjean's freedom was purchased by a priest who just had this crazy grace. Um, Jean Valjean stole from him, and he granted him forgiveness and set him free, basically. Um, thought of several others. Huckleberry Finn finds out that Jim knew his father was dead, so his reason for running down the river had been gone for a long time. Um, the Dread Pirate Roberts is Wesley. Um, in Mission Impossible 1, Phelps is a traitor. Anybody? No? Okay. Um, lots of plot twists that I think of, and, and sometimes the plot twists are great, sometimes the plot twists aren't so great. Uh, like when you walk into a room and your three-year-old looks up, to you, look at, looks up at you with a furtive expression and says, don't come in here, don't look at this part of the room. Um, you know, Jack, why did you, well, I didn't want anybody to find out. Or when your football team blows the 21-3 to lead in the playoffs, but we're not going to talk about that one. But today we're talking about good plot twists. Um, in fact, I think these three that we're going to look at today are three of the greatest plot twists of all time. Um, the first plot twist, we were God's enemies, first of all. We were God's enemies, all of us, every single one of us. Good person, bad person, Republican, Democrat, black or white, rich or poor, good, upstanding, hardworking, tax-paying citizens, or beggars, thieves, liars, teachers, pirates, car dealers, or pastors, the scariest of all. We were enemies of God. Amen? Right? You all tracking there? All of us, enemies of God. Philippians chapter 3 Verse 18, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. I was thinking about their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Have you ever, 
and don't be like whispering names of people to your neighbor there, but um, have you ever seen, you know, just somebody celebrating something that's shameful? Um, like it's something to be proud of. Like they almost give out awards for who can do the most shameful things. Their glory is in their shame. And it's easy for us to get judgmental about those people, but, uh, you know, this is talking about where we, all of us, start out. All of us, enemies of the cross of Christ. Their mind is set on earthly things. And then Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Are you kind of getting it? He's, it's, if you read Paul, there's, there's chapters where he just repeats the same thing in different ways about 18 times. And I think there's a reason for that. Because, you know, the first time you hear that, there's no one who's righteous. He's like, oh, okay, well, yeah. A lot of people are terrible. But then he just keeps going, no one, not one, not a single one. Verse 13 of uh, Romans 3, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Man, that is grim stuff. All of us are enemies of God. All of us. Every single one of us. Enemies of God. And we can come in and say, you know, I'm coming to church. Why are you yelling at me about this? I'm better than the next guy. No, we're enemies of God. When we start out, we have no hope. We're doomed. All of us, each of us, hopelessly, desperately lost. Without something to change it, Our guilt will crush us, our addictions will strangle us, and our sin will condemn us for eternity. There is no hope in this part of the story. None. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. How many of us? All, right? All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The wrath of God hangs over us and we have no possibility of saving ourselves. But then comes the plot twist. Plot twist number one that we're talking about today. Instead of defeating us, crushing us, Jesus sacrifices Himself for us. We just read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3, through and they were pretty grim, but then go on to the next verse of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, and and He just said, we were by nature deserving of wrath, right? Verse 4, But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. In transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved 
through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Jesus came to save us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The first of the three great plot twists we're going to look at today. We were His enemies, but Jesus sacrifices Himself for us. Incidentally, what exactly did Jesus die to save us from? And and I think a lot of the time the obvious answer would be our sin, right? But what is sin? Why is sin a problem? Romans five, um, Romans chapter five, verse twelve uh, says, "When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So, sin brings death, right? And that's that's how we became the enemies of God. We're dirty. We're we cannot be allowed into God's presence. Sin brings death." But then, if you go back in Romans chapter 5 and look at verse 9 of Romans chapter 5, it says, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation or God's wrath through Him. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? So, Jesus came to save us not from the devil, not not just from our sin, Jesus came to save us from God's wrath. You get that? So this is a crazy plot twist that we're talking about because God is the source of life, goodness, beauty, and truth. And He's also the ultimate power of the universe who will eventually decisively wipe out evil. And it's of utmost importance on which side of that battle line we choose to stand. But we don't have the right or ability to be on God's team without the justification provided by Jesus' blood. So Jesus died for His own enemies to save us from His own wrath. Sin could not be excused and ignored. Sin cannot be ignored and pushed under the rug. Sin has to be dealt with. There has to be a sacrifice. There has to be a punishment for sin. His wrath was hanging over us, but then He took the punishment from His own wrath to save His enemies. Us. Now, I realize I'm in a church service this morning and most of the folks sitting here have heard this before. So the tendency is for this to kind of wash over us without really penetrating. Do you... Because we, you know, we've heard it. Oh yeah, Jesus came to save us. We, you know, everybody can be, we can all go to heaven because Jesus came to save us. But if you think about how hopeless it was, how absolutely lost we all were without Him, and how it was His wrath that was hanging over our heads, His judgment, and then He came to rescue His enemies and take His own punishment so that we don't have to. So that's the first of the three of one of the three greatest plot twists of all time. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Plot twist number 2. And this one's a double plot twist, okay? On Palm Sunday, the people treat Jesus like a king. Then later that week, they demand he be given a shameful criminal's execution. 
then the one and only Son of God is killed. And it seemed like Satan won. That's the first half of the double plot twist. From cheering crowds to a jeering mob, from palm branches to a cross. All of Satan's demons shrieking in triumph, they've won. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. Double plot twist, right? It's then revealed that His death was an essential part of the defeat of Satan. And uh, I don't know, I've thought several times about this, how much Satan and all of his demons must have been absolutely screaming in triumph. And then on the third day, everything fell apart. And I think about that and I think, Man, when we get to heaven, I wonder if, you know, God will let us kind of like see a movie of what that looked like. Uh, because, wow, that must have been crazy. Um, but like I said, again, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a church here, and we've heard this story. And with both of these plot twists, you know, it, think about plot twists that you've seen before. Uh, if, you've, if you've never seen the movies or read the books... If they've been around a long time, a lot of plot twists are common knowledge. So it kind of ruins it. That you got you got a spoiler that now when you read the book or when you see the movie or whatever, then you already know it's coming. So it kind of ruins the the surprise for you. You know, um, Cindy's a huge fan of Agatha Christie, uh, the murder mysteries and stuff like that. Um, and if you know who the who the killer is, then you, it ruins a lot of the experience for you if you know ahead of time because Agatha Christie is such, I mean, she's arguably the master of the of the genre of, of mystery fiction, um, of dangling it right there in front of you through the whole book, but you cannot figure out what's going on until the reveal, right? And, and I think sometimes when we know what's coming, when we know that the spoiler is coming, when we know we've had a spoiler so we know that the plot twist is coming, it doesn't, you know, we get there and, eh, well, it was, a, it was an okay story. And how many of you know uh, the secret about Bruce Willis and the Sixth Sense, whether you've seen it or not? I mean, it's, it's this big thing. And some of you are like, what? We don't ever watch movies. Come on, people. Wake up. Some of you, got, some of you guys uh, probably claimed that you figured it out halfway through the movie. And uh, as Bruce Willis said in an, in an interview one time, movie made how many hundred million dollars and everybody says they knew what the plot twist was you know whatever but uh anybody know about the plot spoilers in in that new um what is the new marvel movie uh, infinity war um i haven't seen it yet but since i have wonderful youth group students who are faithful to spoil things for me i already know what the spoilers are i know what's going to happen i didn't want to know i tried to ignore it but yeah but when you know about the plot twists and surprises, it doesn't have the same impact. And similarly, we read about the death of Jesus. We all know He's coming back to life in three days, right? But imagine how the disciples felt. Imagine how much their world had just fallen apart. And the crazy thing, this is kind of weird because, you, you know, have you ever thought, well, Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. Why didn't he give the disciples a heads up so they wouldn't be so stressed out? Well, he did, and they just didn't get it. Like It was like they weren't listening, or they didn't. Um, Matthew 16, 21, uh, it says, Then Jesus began to tell 
began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And he got very specific. Do you see this? He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And it's like after the resurrection, when he's coming back, they, they have totally missed it somehow. Um, but yeah, they, they, you know, they just didn't get it. But just like reading that really good Agatha Christie novel, the second time, and seeing all the subtle clues that you missed the first time through, the disciples went back, kind of put their heads together, went back, said, oh, you remember that thing he said? Oh, you mean the thing about he would go to Jerusalem, be killed, and then three days later rise again? Oh, right. But I don't know, I don't know how they, I don't know how they missed it, but they did. But then they got it only after the greatest plot twist in history happened. Have you noticed that a lot of the plot twists that happen in our own lives seem to be for the worst? But if you belong to Jesus, you are only in the first part of the double plot twist that Jesus has actually given you a heads up about too. Think about this, y'all. We, those of us who go to church should know better when we go through hard times and conclude that God has left us or forgotten us or ignored us. And yet, two weeks ago, I'm sitting there at my house and I start praying and I'm like, God, why are you... I'm not going to fill in the blank because it's none of your business. Okay? I know better. I know He always provides for our needs. I know He always knows what He's doing. He's not forgotten any of us. I, I know better, y'all. But when we go through these hard times, it's like you know Jesus warning His disciples, this is coming. I'm going to be killed. Three days later, I'll rise again. They missed it. Those of us who go to church, who have studied the Scripture, who have at least heard this before, when we go through hard times, we think, God's forgotten me. This is it. And I've talked about this so much that you're probably sick of it, but Jesus' least popular promise, in this world you will have trouble. He's promised us trouble. <laughs> oh. I really want somebody... I'm going to talk to Chance Thompson about making me one of those inspirational posters where it's like, in this world you will have trouble. Jesus. And maybe like a shipwreck, you know, on a picturesque rocky shore or something like that. But in this world you will have trouble. But it goes on. The, the second part of that sentence that he says is, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And there's the plot twist. It comes. And the thing is, we know better. He's told us a thousand times through the Scripture. It's coming. I've overcome the world. Do not worry or be afraid. I will never leave you or forsake you. But when we go through tough times, when we're, when we're buried in the circumstances of life, it's like we, have, we forgot the plot. We forgot that, that the twist is coming. Yes, in this world you will have trouble. Uh-huh. It's going to happen. But take heart, he says. I've overcome the world. The third big plot twist we're going to talk about today. In the book of Acts, we read about Saul, one of the greatest persecutors of the church at the time, early in the book of Acts. And then he uh, is riding to Damascus. Light comes out of heaven, knocks him on the ground. He's blind for a few days. 
And then God sends a, a very brave man named um, Ananias to go and bring the gift of healing to his eyes so he can see again. But it, God calls him to be an apostle. And he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Great, arguably the greatest missionary ever. And the author of half the New Testament. Talk about being enemies of God to start with, right? He was not only an enemy of God in the sense of sinning, he was an enemy of God in the sense of actively, violently fighting against Christians. Um, and he becomes the author of half the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, one of the things that Paul wrote, Saul became Paul. He says this, brothers and sisters, this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Um, Paul's kind of getting a little personal here. It's like, you guys aren't worth a whole lot. Right? You guys, you guys really don't have it all together. I mean, you know, look at us. We're kind of Cedar County people, right? I mean, it's some of you are from Vernon County. Rich people <laughs> just come to church here so they can look down on the rest of us probably i'm kidding for the record some people get all bitter and angry even go out but not many of you were influential not many of you were of noble birth paul says verse 27 of first corinthians 1 but god chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. God chose the foolish things of the world, you know? I could start naming names, but then people would get mad and leave. God chose me. God, I mean, He knew how messed up I was. He knew what a fake I was. My addictions that I had, man, He chose me. He chose you. He chose us. No one may boast before Him. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Look back at verse 30 there for a sec who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, look at these three words, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Okay, we were foolish, we were messed up, we were sinful. And God loves us exactly as messed up and sinful as we are, right? And that's, see, that, that concept right there is pretty popular right now. Because, you know, this is who I am. Deal with me, you know? That's a popular attitude. Don't you judge me. Only God can judge me now. Well, only God will judge you now. He will. But He doesn't leave us the way we are. He loves us exactly the way we are, but He loves us too much to leave us that way. This verse, verse 30, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He wants to change you. If you want to stay the way you are, you're throwing the gift of God's cleansing and His redemption back in His face. You're saying, God, thanks, but no thanks. 
I'm going to stay the way I are, the way I am, because this is who I am. No, 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 no. God loves you exactly the way you are, exactly as messed up as you are, but He will not leave you that way. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. The next verse says, verse 31. I don't know how many of you think you're not exactly the kind of person that God can use to make a difference in His kingdom and in this world. I look around this room and I think of so many stories of people. Everybody in town would have said, that guy make a difference for God? Not likely. You know, good old boy, whatever else, but make a difference for God? Eh? And I think of how many of us God has used to make a difference because He took us exactly where we were, but He didn't leave us that way. He cleaned us up, changed us, made us new. And if a guy like Gene Westhoven can turn out to be a guy that makes a difference for the kingdom of God, if a guy like Jim Pirtle can turn out to be a guy who makes a difference for the kingdom of God, if a guy like Daniel Stockdale who was so caught in the legalism and just all of that can be redeemed and cleaned up and set on the path of grace, I mean, if, if any of us, look around, guys. If any of us can be cleaned up and, and turned around and set on the right track, We don't have to be talented. We don't have to be gifted. One of the greatest plot twists of all time was that God took Paul, the active, violent enemy of Christianity, and used him to write half the New Testament. You're not going to be able to write any of the Scripture. Sorry, if that's one of your dreams in life, I just shattered your dream. That's not going to happen. But God can use you to write a big part of His story. God uses us. We become part of His body. We become the hands and feet of Jesus. People may look at you and say you'll never amount to much. You may look at yourself and doubt that you have something to contribute to the kingdom of God. But God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. He uses the foolish things. He uses those that are thought unwise. So three great plot twists today. We were enemies of God, but Jesus died to save us from His own wrath. That was number one. So if you're buried in your own guilt, if you're drowning in your addictions, if you can't seem to get out of the pit you're in, Jesus came to rescue and save you. Cry out to Him today. He still forgives sin, sets people free from their guilt and addictions and selfishness and despair. He still came. He said, he said to Pontius Pilate, for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. And that's so important because... We don't have to believe Satan's lies anymore that we're not worth anything, that we're hopeless. Jesus testifies to the truth and He's still doing that now. If you feel far from Him, He came to rescue even His enemies, even me, even you. Number two, greatest plot twist. Jesus was hailed as a king, then condemned as a criminal, but then rose as the victor over death, hell, and the grave for all time. And His resurrection power is at work within us. So if you're going through it right now, if you're heartbroken, if you can't see a way through, take heart. He has overcome the world. Just wait for the plot twist. It's coming. Then number three, God uses messed up, broken, even wicked people and redeems them. He cleanses them. He uses them for His glory. He loves us exactly how we are, but He loves us too much to leave us that way. He transforms us into His likeness and He makes us worthy to be part of His kingdom. Would you stand? Let's pray.
Lord, would you help us to see? Would you help us to see the truth? Would you help us not to give up when times are hard? Would you help us not to be satisfied with wallowing in our sin? Would you help us to cry out to you and and grab onto you for dear life? Lord, we thank you that you are victorious, that you never leave us. We thank you that you can use broken people like us. You make us whole, you redeem us, you set us free. God, if there's anybody here this morning who would have to be honest with themselves, be honest with you, and say, I'm an enemy of God, I've not repented from my sins, I've not asked forgiveness, I've not been cleansed, I've not been made whole. Then today, Lord, as right now, as I'm praying out loud, would they cry out to you just silently from their soul and say, Lord, take me. I don't deserve it, but take me anyway. And God, if there's somebody here today that is really going through a seriously tough time and, and they can't see that plot twist coming, we pray that they would be able to hold on to the hope and they would take heart because You've overcome the world. And then God, if there's somebody here today that just feels like they don't have a place, they don't have a purpose, I thank You that You use all of us, no matter how messed up we've been, no matter how people may think we don't have any talent, any whatever, that we're not good enough, that You use us anyway. You make us good enough. And we thank You that uh, we have a place, we have a calling, a place to be in Your kingdom. God, would You help us to run after that and embrace it and become who You created us to be. Thank You, God. In Your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.